Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sanghudhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sanghudhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sanghudhasa Buddhang Dhammang Sanghang Namasami uh, First of all, I'd like to say how glad I am to be back here in uh, Portland and uh, here at the Friends of the Dhamma Center, formerly Dharma Rain Building, and uh, to be amongst uh, this community with Ajahn Sudanto, Ajahn uh, Chagananda, and uh, all of the uh, good people, uh, friends of the Dhamma. Uh, also, I should mention that in England it's four in the morning. <laughs> and uh, Joseph Capel uh, and I arrived here about uh, one day ago, about 24 hours ago. So um, I'm not quite in this time zone. So uh, do, uh, do excuse me if I drift off here and there. Uh, so uh, in the tea time uh, gathering down below, uh, we were talking a lot about uh, sila, the um, aspect of the precepts, uh, virtue, and uh, it was also notable that you began this uh, uh, evening gathering with uh, requesting the opportunity to determine that the refuges and, and precepts. So I thought there might be a, uh, an obvious theme to pick up and to explore. The uh, the word sila uh, has a variety of meanings, and when we think about the sila or the precepts, the mind immediately thinks of the list of of rules. The uh, I undertake the training to refrain from taking the life of any living creature. So the five precepts, the eight precepts, the precepts of the the nuns or the monks, and and uh, that's natural enough. That the mind thinks of of sila as being the uh, the list of um, particular uh, behaviors uh, or agreements. So that's one meaning of the word sila is the uh, like the sikapada or the the training rules, the training precepts. And so that's uh, I would I like to think of that as as the external uh, aspect of. Sila, or the um, uh, articulated, the expressed form of of sila. But there's another aspect to it, which is uh, equally, if not more important, which you can think of as the the inner aspect of sila, because sila is not just adopting a set of behaviours. The, the when we recite the words, I undertake the training to refrain from. That's stating an intention to adjust our behavior in certain ways, to refrain from telling lies, to refrain from consuming uh, any kind of uh, drink or drugs which lead to heedlessness and so on. So we can adjust our behavior but still have a, a heart, a, a mind that is all over the place. So the sila it, the, has... Uh, uh, the um, 
the behaviors and the agreements as the external aspect, but where do they come from? What's the root of that? Uh, in, uh, uh, in the Pali language, there's a, uh, a word, uh, it doesn't appear very often in uh, Dhamma talks, in, at least in the West, and uh, it's not uh, familiar to many people, which is Guna Dhamma. Guna is, uh, means a quality. So like when we recite uh, the evening morning chanting, the, um, the words describing the Buddha, Dhamma and the Sangha, these are called the, the Buddha Guna, the Dhamma Guna, the Sangha Guna. So the qualities. So Guna, uh, G-U-N with a dot underneath, A, Guna, means a spiritual quality. And Gunadham in the Thai language or Gunadhamma in Pali is referring to that uh, quality of virtue which is an attribute of your own heart. So it's a, uh, in, in, in the best way of talking about the, the inner aspect of the precepts. Because obviously adopting the behaviors is not a bad thing. <laughs> it's a good thing it stops us getting arrested. Uh, and it um, keeps things uh, reasonably sweet between our, ourselves and the people that we live with, our family, the uh, people that we work with, the people that we share the streets with. But uh, that's not the, the whole story. And uh, as um, we were talking about down below, and as Joseph was speaking about with his own practice, how uh, the uh, the precepts... Uh, as a standard, become the the, the foundation or, or the basis for spiritual uh, practice, spiritual training, spiritual life, and it's not just because it's the adoption of the behaviors, but it's in its in essence listening to that in your heart which loves the good. This is the uh, the voice in the heart that says, uh, "Yes, that's beautiful." When you see someone acting generously, when you see uh, being uh, somebody being compassionate when you see someone being unselfish when you uh, or even your, your, within yourself without being inflated when you recognize um, that was a kind thing to do to to um, make way for others or to offer up something to help others you uh, something in the heart recognizes yeah I'm, I'm glad I did that that you know, cost a bit of money but I'm really glad I helped that person Oh yeah, that, that took some time and some effort, but yes, I'm 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 glad that happened. That gladness, even though it might seem quite uh, superficial in some ways, or we can dismiss it, or we can we can cover it over. Oh, I shouldn't be proud. I shouldn't be inflated. Uh, I'm I'm really not that good of a person. <laughs> uh, and we we kind of uh, shy away from that. Uh, that quality of guna dhamma is. That uh, um, that recognition, uh, that quality of the heart that is attuned to dhamma, is in it, is attuned to, to reality and, and loves those aspects of life and experience which accord with that, which rejoice in non-violence, in in uh, honesty, um, in uh, in modesty and uh, respectful behaviour. So that's uh, uh, I, I thought I would. Uh, share that, particularly because when when people are put off by rules, and I know this is West Coast America, I lived here for a long time, so I know, particularly in the uh, Bay Area, I suspect Portland is very similar to the Bay Area of California, like rules, you know, I don't do rules, you know, 
That's a kind of reactive. Like I moved to I moved to here from Kansas to get away from the rules. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I was uh, born in the Bible Belt, or I had my parents hammering me with what you know, good Catholic people or a good Jewish person has to do. Like uh, so, came to the West Coast to get away from all of that, and I came to Buddhism to get away from all of that. You know, so I, you know, and sometimes people come up to you. I really love Buddhism because it's got no rules. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we might have to talk about this. <laughs> so we, we shy away from the rules because we think of rules as inhibiting our own freedom. Like they're the stuff that I'm not allowed to do. I'd like to do it, you know, I feel these impulses, but the rules say, no, you can't. Yeah, bad, wrong, stop it, no, you can't. So if we if we just uh, associate sila with being adherence to the rules the behaviors then it can the felt ex- experience of it can be frustrating or we can feel like it's just dumped on us from outside like the religious authorities are saying that thou shalt not <laughs> uh, yeah as it has in the the king james version of the the old testament uh, thou shalt not or thou shalt be smited <laughs> Smote, smut, <laughs> whatever the uh, appropriate verb is. Yeah. So uh, that, that's understandable. We don't want our freedom to be inhibited. And, so, and we think that the rules are holding us down or holding us back. And if we had no rules, then we'd be free. But those of us who've tried to live without rules, um, as, uh, as I made a brave attempt to <laughs> 40 years ago or so, you find that you still meet with uh, a, a, an uncountable number of limitations. Even if you, you defy all the rules and try to push that all away, still there's, there's endless limitations that you meet with. Gravity. <laughs> Money supply. What the people around you want to do or are interested in. Uh, and uh, what... Uh, what the uh, the rest of the traffic is is doing? You know, we meet with countless uh, incalculable limitations. Uh, so what you 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 find when you uh, look at this, uh, say, deeper or inner aspect of sila, is it's a different approach. And one of the teachings that I frequently uh, quote on this is the, the Buddha's own reflections on the the basis of the eight precepts in this instance. And it's describing a, uh, a process of thinking that the Buddha makes. Many, many of his, most of the Buddha's teachings are uh, things that he is saying to groups of people and talking about uh, particular issues in terms of, of uh, an exchange with others. But in this particular sutta, he's talking about his own thought process, processes on how he established the eight precepts as a training system for lay people to use for the the moon days, the full moon, the new moon, the two half moons. When he's considering, okay, all religious groups have some special Sabbath. They have a a, a way of gathering on the, the, the phases of the moon to to meet and to focus their attention very specifically on their training. So what can the lay people use as a, uh, as a, a, a mode of training or practice to gather around? So this is called the Upposita Sutta, the, 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 the discourse on the Upposita. The, the, uh, an Upposita means the observance day. 
So then the Buddha takes the conduct of the Arahant as his basis. And he says, all their lives, from the time of their enlightenment uh, to the end of their life, the Arahants never deliberately take the life of another, another living being. Wouldn't it be a good thing for the lay community if they adopted that behavior and they also refrain from taking the life of any living creature and in that way they will be living as the Arahants do and that will be for their long-lasting welfare and happiness. So too with uh, taking, uh, what is not, uh, not taking what is not given, uh, refraining from all sexual uh, activity, uh, refraining from lying, uh, to refrain from intoxicants. And each one of these, he says, uh, and th uh, this is the way that the Arahants live, and uh, if a layperson uh, adopts this for, you know, for a day and a night, for the, keeping the eight precepts for the, the lunar observance for a day and a night, this will be for their long-lasting welfare and happiness. Similarly with uh, the, the sixth precept about not eating at inappropriate times, just eating in the morning between dawn and noon, uh, to refrain from uh, uh, entertainment, beautification, adornment, uh, uh, seeking uh, distraction and, uh, and uh, um, uh, decoration and so forth. Uh, again, he says, you know, all their lives, the Arahants refrain from uh, entertainment, beautification and adornment. And uh, uh, wouldn't it be a, a useful thing for the lay community for one day a week to act in the same way, and in that way they'll be living as the Arahants do, and that will be for their long-lasting welfare and happiness. Or uh, the eighth precept, to uh, uh, to refrain from using a high or luxurious sleeping place. So that what he's take, what he's doing is this is the natural inclination of a totally enlightened being. If your heart is fully liberated and unobstructed, your, your heart your heart is the Dhamma, is totally in tune with its own reality. Then it's impossible for you to kill anything. You can't tell a lie. You're completely uninterested in sexual activity. You are uh, un uninterested in distracting the mind with intoxicants. You are you you relate to food just as a way to fill up the tank. Uh, you, you, like you, you, how many of you fantasize about petrol stations or gas stations even? <laughs> How many of us think, oh, well, I went to, I went to the Shell station this morning, but uh, I think Exxon, Exxon tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> we don't, but you know, they, don't, uh, they don't have petrol channels on the TV. They have food channels, but they don't have, at least I'm, um, unless you're in the petrochemical industry. <laughs> but most people don't, don't surf the channels looking for something really interesting, you know, the interesting features of, of gasoline. Am I right? I'm guessing here, but I'm, I think it's a pretty safe guess. But food, <laughs> yeah, but to relate to food in a different way, to, to not be uh, just focused on the, the taste or the, in new recipes, but just, yeah, food is good and it's lovely to have and it, we need it to keep the body going, but why spend more time talking about it and thinking about it than you need to? I know that sound, might sound heretical or outrageous, <laughs> but... Uh, this is the, the kind of suggestion that the Buddha is making. So this is for an arahant, they're not interested in food uh, as a, a distraction or as an excitement or as a novelty. It's just how you keep the body going. And if somebody offers it, great. Similarly, you're not interested in dressing in a way that is trying to attract excitement, attract other people or cause excitement. Or, or um, you're not just filling your senses with smells or sounds or, or uh, flavors or... Uh, 
or sites that cause more excitement or just are novel or, or um, agitating, why would you want to do that? It's just the, there's no need for that. It's not, it's not interesting. It's like you know, offering a hamburger to a horse. It's like, yeah. Horses are vegetarian. They, they are, they're not interested in hamburgers. You know, no horse will be anywhere. It's just it's not their thing. So it's like, well, why would you be interested? So in this, what the Buddha is doing is, uh, so in an arahant, the, the inner quality of sila, the gunatama, is fully perfected. So that they're, the, uh, they're, they're not giving up anything. An arahant is enjoying their life to the full. <laughs> they're, they're living a full life, but they have no sex, no supper, no, se- you know, no drugs, no rock and roll. You know? <laughs> but they're living a full life, the fullest possible life. So I'm not trying to be intimidating, I'm just talking about uh, a, a different way of understanding because in this way then sila is not a restriction but rather it's a, a, a mode of realizing um, uh, abundance in a way or, or completeness. Uh, the word puna, P-U-N-N with dots under the ends, puna, like Ajahn Puna Dhammo from Arrow River, puna, is the Sanskrit is purna, it means fullness or completeness. So that rather than the sila representing going without stuff that I really like or want or need, <laughs> it's instead it's sort of discovering your own fullness, discovering that, uh, that quality of puna, that, that uh, your inner uh, completeness. So uh, what the Buddha is suggesting is if you adopt the behavior uh, of following these, then that helps you to tap into the the guna dhamma does that make sense so like you you adopt the behavior that you sit like a buddha makes you help helps you to make make you feel like a buddha <laughs> and the in in the japanese tradition i understand they have what they call the as if practice so literally by by sitting like a buddha that helps you to discover the buddha quality of your own nature so this is uh uh, acting like a, uh, a Buddha, acting like an arahant, helps you to discover by uh, by that adoption of the behavior. It helps you to to get a sense for, oh, I don't really need that. I'm quite happy without supper. Oh, what a surprise! You know, and many times people have signed up for our retreats and said, "Well, I I signed up for the retreat, and then I found out it's no supper. Eight precepts. Oh, I'm not sure about that. You know." And then the mind starts churning up all kinds of good reasons why it's impossible. And then uh, I remember one of the, um, the Dhamma, uh, Vipassana teachers uh, joined, uh, signed up for one of our, uh, my 10-day retreats many years ago uh, here in the, in the U.S. And, and she had deep reservations about the, uh, the, the uh, food precept, number six. And, uh, and she, uh, then t- when we had an interview about the fourth or fifth day, she said, you know, this was really on my mind before the retreat began. I had all kinds of really good reasons why it wasn't applicable to me, <laughs> why I really needed to eat in the evening. And then she said, you know what happened yesterday? I forgot that I hadn't had supper. I, I went through, I was halfway through the evening meditation, and I suddenly realized, oh, I didn't have supper, and I didn't miss having supper. I forgot that there was no supper. And then I had this realization, oh, I, the, the actually, nothing was missing. Before I thought about it, there was no supper missing. When I thought about it, 
Then I thought, oh, I didn't have supper. And she said, for a moment I felt hungry. And then I thought, then I realized, hang on a minute. When I didn't think about it, nothing was missing. Now I'm thinking about it, I say something's missing. But if I don't think about it, we go back to nothing is missing. If you follow the, the reasoning there. So it was quite a big insight for her. It's like, yeah, it's, uh, it wasn't true at all that uh, I couldn't manage without. Aha! So uh, what uh, this, this principle is doing uh, is helping us to realize that the adoption of sila and taking on the, 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 the precepts is uh, in a, uh, it's designed to, to help us discover and listen to that voice in our heart which is respectful, which is harmless, which is honest, which is, uh, which is noble, and which doesn't need anything. Uh, and the, the, the five precepts is the basis uh, for that, that, that principle. So that's the, the, the first thing to share. And we'll have some time to, to chat and have some dialogue and uh, uh, talk about this uh, if you have any questions. So uh, another aspect uh, of the um, uh, of the uh, precepts that is I think is um, possibly intimidating, but <laughs> hopefully not, is that according to Buddhist cosmology, if you're familiar with the, the six realms of existence, you have the the um, the deva realms. They have this what they call the bhava chakra, or the wheel of existence. It's divided into five or six sections. So you have the deva realms, the heavenly beings. You have the uh, asuras, the um, the jealous gods, who are like the devas, but they're very um, contentious and and uh, they get angry and upset, and they they're never quite as good looking as the devas, or they and they so they they're jealous, so that they're they're powerful and and. Uh, uh, so they have a lot of capacity, but they're um, overcome with feelings of violence and and uh, so egotism. So they have the devas, the asuras, the 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 human realm, the animal realm, the hungry ghost realm, and uh, the hell realms. Uh, and the hungry ghost realm is like the realm of addiction, where the the uh, the hungry ghosts uh, are uh, always craving for. Uh, for satisfaction, uh, but they can never be. Uh, they can never be fulfilled. They're always wanting more, and they can never get enough to, to eat. So they're depicted as these beings with huge stomachs and tiny mouths. So they can never, they can never get enough. So that the the hungry ghost realm is like the, the realm of addiction, and the and the uh, uh, the hell realm is the, the realms of, of, of anger and, and conflict and, and endless suffering. So the human realm is characterized by sila that uh, to be a, a human being to the it's called the manusa loka the human realm that what uh, uh, say quote, quote unquote qualifies one to be living in the human realm is living by the precepts so you can have a human body it can be a pugala it can, you can be walking around this is not a kind of um, like the sort of conspiracy theories about the lizard people. Well, kind of, actually, kind of it is, but uh, uh, not in the, the way you see in the sort of uh, National Enquirer. But, uh, but um, you can be, uh, according to Buddhist cosmology, you can be moving around in a human body, but not living in the human realm. Because if your life is, if you're, if you're living a dishonest life, if you're someone who's always 
defrauding the company that you work for, or you're cheating on your partner, or you're、um, getting into fights down at the local bar all the time, or you you spend your your life uh, um, uh, in front of a TV screen、um, shouting at sports teams. <laughs> Then this is, I would suggest, this is what what you're what you're doing is living in the animal realm, or you're living in the asura realm. You're not really living in the the human realm, the manusa loka. But the、uh, the so I'm not trying to intimidate anyone, <laughs> or or uh, uh, or say uh, be critical, but just talking about how the the quality of of, of humanity, what makes us human. Uh, is described、uh, according to the, the the scriptures and the teachings that if we are if we want to be genuinely human, then the way we do that and we want、uh, then we spend our Friday nights gathering in a dharma center. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that you are not out of the bar uh, or uh,、um, shouting for the、uh, your sports teams with a with a、uh, with a beer in hand. Uh, but instead of、uh, spending your Friday evening coming to practice meditation, take the precepts, listen to a dhamma talk, this pretty much guarantees everyone here is、uh, is in the manusa loka, <laughs> at least this evening.、Yeah. <laughs> but、uh, it's I feel it's a very beautiful and helpful reflection to consider that uh, uh, if if we wish to. Say, do the best that can be done with our life to use our, our life, the potential of our life as a human being, to its、uh, to its fullest capacity. Then the the、uh, the manusa loka, the the manusa to to、uh, say take that as our foundation is the most skillful because that's the realm that Buddhas are born in. Buddhas are born as human beings; they're not born as animals or as uh, as uh, in the in the deva realms, but. Again, the Buddhas are always born as as humans, as people. So that's a a, a, a small you know, reflection to cons- consider, and that not to be、uh, judging other people or to be、uh, creating anxiety. <gasps> am I a real human, or you know, am I not, am I really a lizard person? <laughs> well, I am kind of governed by the reptile brain, so. But、uh, it's a it's a way of of、uh, say. Looking at your value system, what is most precious to you? We all feel impulses for the other realms: the, ang- the anger of the hell realm, or the jealousy of the, the the asura realm, or the craving experiences of the hungry ghost realm, or the、uh, the impulses of the animal realm of territory or sexual desire and, or uh, uh, competition of the the animal realm that's protecting territory or competing for resources or. Or、uh, trying to uh, uh, chase after a, a, a potential sexual partner. These are the, the impulses and forces of the animal realm. We, we are all familiar with those. We know those. But do we want to put those forces, those particular qualities, at the centre of our life? Do we want to put them in charge? So having this、uh, sense of, of the manusa,、uh, the, manu- the,、uh, the human realm, and what defines a human.、Uh, Uh, human life to to see whether、well, it's not having a human body in this particular physiology or or this particular mental capacity. It's not a matter of having,、um, say,、uh, the capacity for abstract thought or to、um, to imagine, to calculate, and, and so on. But rather, is in in Buddhist terms, what makes us a true human being is having、uh, our that quality of guna dhamma, the the 
a quality of virtue as the centerpiece of our life. Uh, maybe the last thing to share about on reflections on Sila that is also uh, Joseph earlier on this uh, this afternoon. He he mentioned this particular sutta, the Abhisanda Sutta. Is that right? Abhisanda Sutta. Yeah, it's now half past four in the morning in England. So. <laughs> I think it's the Abhisanda Sutta. Anyway, it's the one where the Buddha says he uh, talks about the five precepts in a very interesting way because. He uh, um, he calls them the five great gifts, the Mahadana, the five great gifts, and <laughs> this is because uh, he says the, there are these five great principles, these five great resources, these sources of blessings that are ancient, that are well founded, that are are reliable, and uh, and then describes the five precepts. And says these are these are great gifts. The, these are mahadana, great gifts, because they give to uh, to living beings, um, uh, uh, say, incalculable, uh, you know, infinite, and um, so all-encompassing freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety. So, if you keep the first precept about not killing. Creatures don't have to be afraid of you, like going to the um, Crystal Springs Rhododendron Park. Those squirrels are not afraid. Like Patty was, took us to the... Those squirrels, I mean, they're looking for a handout, agreed. You know, like, you know, <laughs> posing for the camera and look, looking as cute as possible, very close to the path. <laughs> you know, the ducks, too. They know the kind of humans that walk in the park are not dangerous. So you get a mallard kind of perched on the railing, just sort of, hi... As you walk past, and the, the squirrels are kind of around about your feet, and uh, they're not afraid because they know the kind of humans that show up at the park are not dangerous humans. These two leggeds are good; they're safe. You don't have to be afraid. So, right there, you have that this teaching of the Buddha is being enacted that <coughs> they know they can they have freedom from fear because the kind of park the park goers are not the dangerous two leggeds. These are ones that you don't. Other places, the the, the two legged are really troublesome, they're dangerous. But here, they're not. So you are bestowing freedom from fear upon those creatures. So if uh, <clears throat> if you are gathering in a Buddhist group like this, you know, here we are, friend, Portland friends of the Dhamma. You don't have to to lock up your bag. You could leave your bag up against the wall, and you don't have to worry that someone's going to be. Kind of rifling through it during the meditation. <laughs> Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. That, because there's a common understanding. You know, we just take. You know, we took the precepts at the beginning, so <laughs> that uh, you can assume that people do that voluntarily and they mean it. So that uh, this quality of bestowing infinite, you know, incalculable freedom from fear on on innumerable beings. People don't have to be, uh, uh, other beings don't have to be afraid for their lives, for their property. Uh, you don't, you, they, they know that um, you're not going to uh, abuse them sexually, you're not going to take advantage of them, you're not going to betray them, you're not going to, to uh, say, uh, misuse your authority or your position or uh, uh, take advantage of them in, in, in any way. You're not going to lie to them. So 
if people know that, oh this person's not going to lie to me you can relax around you can relax around them that they, this person is honest you know she always tells the truth you might not like, like to hear what she's got to say but she's always truthful so you know you're getting the the real story <sighs> so it's a dana and it's this is called abhaya dana the giving of fearlessness so the monastery abhaya giri just has its 20th anniversary in a few days time uh, fearless mountain um, how why, when people say fearless mountain, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, why would the mountain be afraid of anything? But fearless mountain, the name is is related to this quality of of, of dana, that the all of the deer and the, the ground squirrels and the the creatures on the mountain of uh, Abhayagiri, they don't have to be afraid of the two leggeds. They know, around here they don't carry guns, they don't put out poison. That they, they are these are not dangerous. Uh, beings, so they live free from fear. So you do get the the, the deer kind of wandering through and just uh, quite casual sometimes. <laughs> and the the uh, that bestowing of freedom from fear is is non-trivial. It's a it's a, a powerful thing. So that when we uh, we think about the precepts, how many of us think of keeping the precepts as an act of generosity to others? Right, I see a few people shaking, shaking their heads. Like, no, it's stuff I can't do. Right, it's the normal way. Like, oh, no, I can't. You know. But, it, but uh, if we think about it, you get onto a bus, and we wouldn't think, oh, isn't it great? None of these people have to be worried about me stealing their purse. We don't think like that. But actually, that's a marvelous thing. I would say. What a wonderful thing. No one has to be afraid of you. That's a gift. We don't, but you're not getting inflated. Oh, I'm so wonderful. Like, you know, how marvelous that uh, I am that you don't have to be afraid of me. It's not like being uh, inflated. But it's something to, to recollect. It's a gift that we're giving to each other. When you're in a, a group like this, or you're on a retreat, just keeping silent, just respecting the noble silence, you know, respecting the routine. We don't think of it, oh, oh, everybody else is so lucky that I'm following the routine really strictly, and I'm not coming in late and making a lot of noise. You, know, you guys are really blessed that I'm such a good person. <laughs> it's not being inflated in that way, but it's just recognizing, yeah, I am quiet, I am res restraining my speech, I am... And not coming in at the in, at the at the inappropriate time. So the fact is that I'm not making extra noise, and that does uh, that does create an environment that people appreciate. Uh, so that that uh, I feel is a very beautiful and skillful way to also relate to the precepts. And in this the Sutta, the Abhisanda Sutta, and. Uh, um, I think it's in the well. We can. Uh, I think it's in the Book of the Sevens in the Anguttara Nikaya, if I'm remembering correctly. And uh, in that, it's not often that the Buddha speaks in this way, but I feel it's a very significant teaching that uh, we are, in a sense, recognizing the natural effects of our conduct, and our restraint is something that is uh, a blessing in the world. And so we, this retreat that we were just teaching was um, uh, protecting the world through sila. Part of that protection is uh, our commitment. As Ajahn Sumedha would often say back in the, the early days, if, if all humanity just agreed to keep the first precept only in respect to other human beings, 
Just that. Just if, if all human beings seriously took that first precept, I will not kill any other human beings, the world would be completely transformed. I see a lot of people nodding their heads. <laughs> None of us need, need to think for a second about it, like, oh yeah, right. <laughs> just to stop killing other humans, not even not killing other animals, but, and just one precept. <laughs> if, if we could just do that, the world would be a completely different place. How amazing it would be, uh, considering the number of people that are murdered uh, by each other in the, the course of a, of a day around the world. So when we, we think of the, keeping the precepts as a gift to others, then when we, we recognize the, the beneficial and noble, beautiful effects of our own conduct, again, it's not to make ourselves inflated, like, you know, you guys are so lucky to have a spiritual being like me around. You know, that just it, it sort of hijacks the, uh, the, uh, the quality and misuses it. But rather, uh, looking at the natural effects of that, uh, that mode of behavior and recognizing, yeah, that, that, that is something that is, is helpful. And, and he said, so the Buddha in that same sutta, he says, it also brings uh, uh, incalculable, immeasurable freedom from anxiety, freedom from fear for the individual, for yourself. Because when you, like, like they, the, the, the old saying, when a, a pickpocket meets a saint, all they, meet, all they see is pockets. Yeah. <laughs> if you are living virtuously, if you are, if you are living uh, you know, based on that, that spiritual quality, then um, that's what you tend to see in others. That's what you tend to, to relate to in, in others. You are, you're not uh, judging others in terms of, of um, what, uh, say, what your, your kind of negative or destructive habits are, are based around, but rather you are training yourself to see others in a, uh, in a different way. So that it gives you freedom from fear, as well. That you are, uh, that it's, it's a well. Um, probably most of us have recognised someone who's very aggressive, and and contentious is always assuming that other people are going to attack them, because that's the way they function. Someone who is uh, who is um, very peaceful and calm, they they uh, don't relate to uh, even when they are aggressed against. They don't re react in the same way. Like uh, Joseph was the, the same uh, nun that Joseph was saying uh, uh, inspired him to um, uh, say, uh, acknowledge and respect the value of his own keeping the five precepts. I am made an undie. Uh, he was, uh, there's a story that she tells quite often about when she was a laywoman and, um, uh, and she was uh, attacked. Uh, and this, by a, 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 a guy, she's quite small, physically quite small, and she's attacked by a large guy, and who was threatening to rape her, and she just uh, and she tells this story, so it's not um, betraying any confidences uh, in quite public situations, uh, and she just basically wouldn't go along with it. <laughs> he said, "What do you think you're doing?" Uh, Joseph knows the story better than, better than me, but uh, because she perennially sees people in a very positive way, she spreads loving kindness, and so as he's attacking her, she starts chanting. And he says, what are you doing? And she says, I'm chanting. 
And he said, what are you doing? She said, I'm chanting. And he said, well, don't stop it. She said, no, I, no, I won't. I mean, she's, she's tiny, but as they say, she punches above her weight. So she, she was very happy to set Joseph straight, and he's like three times the size of her. And this guy is attacking her to rape her, and she says, uh, and he says, stop, stop doing that. And she said, no. You know, what are you doing it for? Well, she said, I'm chanting for you. What do you mean? <laughs> well, because you must be in such a horrible state of mind to be attacking me like this. Stop it! And he said, no, I'm not. Yeah. I, you know, I, want, I, I, I want to wish you well. And it totally threw him off. And sort of um, kind of defused the entire scenario. And so then uh, you know, she, he ended up you know, leaving her quite alone. And I'm sure it's a, a, an encounter he's never forgotten. <laughs> since that time, but it's a really good example of how, be because she was a person who spent her time seeing people in very kind and compassionate, positive ways, even in a very traumatic and, and threatening situation like that, that her readiness to keep seeing people like that was what diffused the situation and protected her. So, obviously that's a bit of an extreme situation and you can't uh, uh, guarantee things will, will go in that way every time. But when we talk about protecting the world through sila, it's not just sort of magical thinking. It's not just um, uh, pretending or hoping, but rather when we, we act in ways that are really coming from the heart, the, the, the guna dhamma, that core of virtue uh, of our own being, then it has an effect on people. Uh, and uh, I often tell the story of a a, um, a fellow who just come from a month long retreat. It was in this was in Wisconsin, and um, he uh, he was pulling up to a gas station. He was had a month long retreat, and he was in a very sort of the world is great. You know, everything in the, about life is fantastic, and I love everything. And he pulled into this gas station, and this huge so sort of SUV kind of screeched in front of him, and and um, took the pump that he was about to, he was sort of mindfully driving into the station <laughs> and this big SUV kind of snuck in front of him and screeched up to the, ga to the gas pump ahead of him, kind of took his spot and then uh, but then the, the, the guy who was driving the big SUV didn't realize it was a diesel pump and then he saw it was, he thought, saw it was diesel and had to, to sort of rush off and try and find a, you know, a different pump but and that all happened right in front of the, this this fellow, and and he was a a big sort of good-looking, well-dressed guy. Obviously, took great care about his appearance, and his partner next to him was a sort of very uh, dressed-up uh, and sort of decorated woman, and uh, they were obviously very focused on appearance by the way they appeared, <laughs> and. Um, uh, then they got in. He got into the the, the booth to to pay, and um, this fellow from the retreat, and he so he's sort of patiently queuing up, and he's still in his sort of beatific state of everything is fine with the world, and he didn't mind this guy cutting him off, and then he didn't um, sort of laugh at him or make any kind of gesture when he had to pull away and find a different a different empty, and then wait for another empty pump. 
but uh, they're standing in the queue to pay, and this guy looks at him and he said, he has this murderous look, this kind of horrible, like, don't you dare shame me. Was, uh, in, and uh, he said he just saw this angry face of this guy, and he, and he uh, <laughs> said, I couldn't feel anything but love for him. And uh, this, uh, and this, he said, this this guy who had this uh, ferocious attack of, uh, on him and said, "You don't you dare make fun of me, or don't you try mocking me, or or uh, or um, teasing me." And he, he said, "There was nothing in me but but love for this guy." And he could see he, this; he just fell apart. He just his expression just sort of changed, and and he had no place to put that. That his attack just sort of <laughs> bounced off and had no place to land uh, and just bounced and fell away, and um, that his uh, expression sort of completely changed and he looked sort of like, oh, oh, <laughs> kind of bewildered and, and amazed. Uh, and he said, with no words passed between them. But he could, but uh, because he wasn't making fun of him, he wasn't being defensive, he wasn't upset, and it just um, reflected back. Like, well, okay, you know, I'm not going to mock you. Why would I do that? <laughs> I'm not going to attack you or, or harm you. Why would I do that? And uh, again, uh, that you can be sure that that uh, that encounter had a, a powerful impact because that 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 moment that fellow. <clears throat> met something that he had probably never met before. Someone who didn't respond to aggression in that way, in, in the usual way of fearfulness or, or, or a counterattack. But it was just, okay, yeah. If you want to be like that, that's your business, but I have no, uh, no, no problem with that at all. It's, your, it's the way you want to be. And, uh, and then that diffused it and, and left the fellow, I don't think he was sort of... <laughs> spiritually transformed or went away smiling but uh, but it was just uh, that experience of having that um, aggressive mode countered and not fed and a different possibility presented so that uh, when we uh, we uh, are say ready to take refuge and use sila as our basis then we can find not just protection for uh, Freedom from uh, fear for others, but also freedom from fear for ourselves. But also that that inner peacefulness, that inner in non-contention within us, can happily um, have its own effect on the world around us. That that makes sense. That uh, the way we are and the way we are seeing others has its impact, has its brings its own gifts. So that's also. A, one of the reasons why these uh, the five precepts are mahadana, they're, they're great gifts. That um, in these kind of encounters, um, they can be giving gifts to people that they can cannot get any other way. So I see the clock has gone around to about quarter two, and uh, so I'll wind up my uh, uh, reflections there and open things up for um, for some dialogue. If you have any questions, also if Joseph, you if you be Open to responding to anything as well. Be happy to. So, so please don't be shy. If there's any? Yes, there's a hand at the back there. Yes, so uh, I'm trying to have a um, a lot of discussion about secular mindfulness and uh, the, the 
problem with secular mindfulness is missing sila. Uh, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, on this new, you know, this mindfulness movement. <laughs> Uh, the short answer is I agree, <laughs> but it's not—it's not a monoculture. Yeah, There's—I I know quite a lot of people uh, involved in mindfulness trainings in various different uh, domains, and uh, it's not the case that all of them are ignoring the sila aspect. Uh, I mean, it's an issue that's that's quite uh, spoken about quite a lot, and. Uh, I was asked to talk about it at the last um, conference on mindfulness in San Francisco uh, I was at. Um, uh, that uh, that was the theme that, they, that I was asked to speak on about sila and its relationship to to mindfulness practice. So it's a uh, it's much discussed within the field. So uh, and there's um, certain uh, approaches I know like John Kabat-Zinn and Mark Williams uh, very prominent people within that field they very deliberately and explicitly leave behavior out of the picture in the MBSR training and such like but uh, there's more and more um, voices within the mix to uh, sort of explicitly bring it in uh, and you know, and um, there are various ways that People are sort of coming up with, uh, or considering how to do that. But the, um, uh, I think the the way the basis that John Kabat-Zinn had for his MBSR training was very much to follow the sort of Western therapeutic model that the, the therapist doesn't make any quote unquote value judgment about the conduct of the the client, and that. Uh, you are um, sort of that's kind of a, uh, not something that you can talk about or tell people they should change their behaviors. So uh, I'm not, uh, I, I, I think that it's a subject that's talked about so much, and the, the connection between well being and behavior to me is so screamingly obvious <laughs> that they're going to have to get there uh, eventually. I might, just like uh, compassion was a big discovery, and suddenly people started talking about mindfulness and compassion. Then I, f- I figure within the next uh, uh, a, c- a couple of years ago I said it would be within the next couple of years, <laughs> but I think I, the next big discovery will, will be next big discovery will be Sila, and it'll it'll get a new name like sort of uh, uh, mindfulness and uh, yeah, ethical sensitivity <laughs> or, or, or behavior therapy. And uh, oh wow! Have you heard about this? You know, if you stop telling lies, you feel you feel much better about yourself. Oh really? Wow! That's that's what an incredible what an incredible concept. Yeah, Joseph, do you have any uh, thoughts on that? <laughs> Very few thoughts. Okay, well, don't feel compelled.
agnostics uh, that uh, the importance of the tradition of things like sadha, faith, confidence, because I think our hearts are really uh, screaming for for a more devotional or a, a, a heartfelt meaning in our lives. And but because of the conditioning that we have of, of history of uh, religion or spiritual path being forced on us that I think it's a natural reaction to turn away from things that have any flavor or hint of, of that. And so I think there's a natural uh, progression to really bring that around. And certainly what I've seen, and I, I think we all can in, in, in Buddhist teachings, is that it's transplanted in, in, in various places. And Although the, uh, the essence and heart is there, that if you take a, a, a Bodhi tree from Bodhi and plant it uh, somewhere that will grow in, in here in America or the UK or wherever, that it's going to grow, but then it's going to take on the characteristics of that particular environment. And so the West is finding its, its way, and we have quite a, a, a large selection, really a smorgasbord, don't we? teaching, so something like the Theravada tradition that, that, that we, we have in, in Ajahn Chah are really uh, orthodox, if you will, and a lot of people are attracted to that, but I think it's very important to, to have that, and, and I guess what's sad, that the, the, the final thing I say that I always found sad once I got past the kind of uh, disappointment <coughs> that, that, was, that existed in, in not embracing it more is that, that it's complementary so that there's so few of us if we think of the world order and how things are, there's so few of us that are doing this and so the complementariness between I'd say the, the monastic community and, and how they elevate the dialogue and the, the example of the living embodiment of these teachings and then others that are teaching in whatever capacity they have that there's so much to share and, and, and pooling of resources, really. And so I, I hope, and, and I think, because the dialogue is, is there and there are people, more and more people uh, coming around and, and seeing it. So everybody's going to be monastic, so everybody's going to follow uh, Ajahn Chah's tradition or whatever. But I think that the, the conversation just naturally needs to be elevated more and more, and there's more embracing uh, of the, the tr tr traditional dismissal of its Asian or its Thai or its, its whatever because it's so easy to say, well, I'm like this and not like that. I don't want to be like that. Um, so I, I'm, I'm certainly hopeful and, and optimistic about that. And the important thing is for, you know, for me as an individual and each of us to what is our standard of, of how we live and, and how we you know, support and uh, the, the footprint of <laughs> okay, uh, time for one more. Yes, there's a hand here.
are those, do you see those three additional precepts, such as not eating supper, not sleeping comfortably, and not caring for our parents? Is that more for uh, the monastics, or can, is that something useful for the lay people to practice, should I say? Because those extra three precepts begin to sound like, oh, cannot do. Well, they... Um as I was saying, that the, the, the Buddha's starting point was the nature of the arahant. Yeah, if you are totally enlightened, uh, then that would be your natural inclination. So, um, the 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 eight precepts, the third precepts is is changed from uh, refraining from sexual misconduct to refraining from any intentional sexual activity. So the, the there's actually four of them that are different than the the five precepts. Um, so. The the uh, in the five precepts they're called pakati sila or natural sila, the first four in particular, which is to say that if uh, if that action is taken like killing a living being or telling a lie or stealing something, uh, uh, engaging in sexual misconduct, there's an intrinsic and inescapable negative karmic consequence, irrespective of culture, time, place, or, or whatever, uh, that. That's so. The, they're called natural sila. Then things like not eating in the evening, or not wearing earrings, or playing frisbee, and uh, such like. These are called prescribed sila or panati sila. So that's just like choosing which side of the road you drive on, or uh, or, or you know what shape your glasses that you wear. It's like a a, a, a kind of um, human agreement for a particular uh, purpose. So they are they're. Uh, they're not natural sila, they're, they're added on. But they're, they're added on for a particular purpose. So the, the Buddha's advice was that, uh, um, just as I, the example I was quoting, was that on the moon days, you know, one day a week, uh, if the lay people adopt this, these ways of acting and being, then it'll be for their long-lasting welfare and, and benefit. Because what it's saying is that there is some, there's an aspect of you that is completely uninterested in uh, relating to food in terms of uh, entertainment or distraction that just relates to food in a very natural, straightforward, simple way as like fuel for the body. That there's there's an aspect of you that doesn't need to be entertained or amused or, or decorated. It's just it's completely content and at ease without that. Um, as part of you that's completely uninterested in, in sexual activity that just is not uh, interested in relating to other human beings in that way. I don't know you personally, but uh, I would say it's the case for everybody. You know, and that's what the Buddha is pointing to, is that by taking on this mode of conduct, then you are tapping into that which is already inherent within you, that, that guna dhamma, that, that spiritual quality. And so it's, it's really useful, because it, uh, it's not like saying there is a, a sort of lay life and a, mon a monastic life, like sort of, two completely separate things, but rather the monastic life is just a formalization of the, that uh, so innermost quality. It's just, okay, if you want to, and so what we call ordination is a very uh, so specific adoption of behaviors, you know, wearing robes, shaving your head, but essentially all it's doing is saying, if you really want to listen to that voice in the heart that says, I respect all living beings and I don't want anybody to be hurt, then <laughs> you take on the life of the monk to remind you of that. It's not that you're, you're essentially sort of seeing yourself as particularly different 
but it's just uh, reminding you to listen to that that inner voice. So that uh, the Buddha's uh, suggestion was that it was really useful for lay people because it, uh, what it does is it it helps you to keep the other modes of activity in perspective. That you you don't become dependent on uh, on the um, not uh, is the renunciant precepts like not eating in the evening or not using entertainment, beautification, adornment, and so on, celibacy, or not not overindulging in sleep. What they do is that they they help you to be very adaptable and resilient. So that if there's something to eat, you're fine. If there's nothing to eat, you're fine. You know how to go without food. If you're attractive to other people, fine. If you're unattractive to other people, fine. If there's sexual activity available, fine. If there's no sexual activity available, fine. You, you don't need anything in order to feel complete, to feel good. And so that those renunciate practices, they're called renunciation, um, uh, but in the English word means implies a sense of going without something that is already yours. You were the true owner, it really was your thing or your possession or your activity and you're now choosing to go without it. So the word renunciation implies a quality of lack. So that doesn't, that's not really there in the Pali. So the, the Pali word is nikamma or, the, or in celibacy is called brahmacharya. So rather than going without something that is naturally yours or naturally good or, or right, it's in, brahmacharya means divine activity. Or walking with the gods. <laughs> so rather than representing a state of lack, it actually represents a state of fullness. And the, the, uh, and the, the, the non-celibate life represents a state of lack. <laughs> so it's the other way around. So it's the, the renunciant precepts work uh, not so much that it's, there's any, any kind of intrinsically uh, karmic um, negative reaction to eating in the evening, but rather, if you take this on one day a week, um, or for a period of time, then it helps you to develop your inner uh, resources, your inner stability, your adaptability, and makes you less dependent on circumstances. That's how I see it working, anyway.